Welcome to the Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Like intellectual bowerbirds, we aim to collect shiny little objects of knowledge that we think can help build better humans. Welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Tim Curtis, as always with my co-host Ben Pronk. And Tim, we are doing an end of year wrap up. Hi, Ben. I'm going to. Oh, hi, Tim. <laughs> I'm going to call this the Theatre RV. Oh, nice. <laughs> it is RV 29. We actually really? started this year with RV 28. <laughs> <laughs> like so many facets of our life, Tim, we're just falling apart. It is that nugget of brilliance that <laughs> 29 follows 28. Now, for our long, I was going to say long listening, long suffering listeners, mm. um, you might recall an RV, um, especially in the early seasons, would be when Tim and I would get together. RV rendezvous in military parlance mm-hmm. is a place of reconsolidation, mm-hmm. and we'd use the RVs to reflect on stuff episodes, happenings, goings-on, whatnot. Um, And this one, as an end-of-year one, I think should be our theatre RV. That's right. So for non-military listeners, you generally have a series of RVs, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. And I'm really struggling to think what they were. (laughs) It's been a while. Um, You'd happen to meet There's this one here. (laughs) There was the one before that, (laughs) the one one before that, that, and then the next one. And and then if you can't find that one, go to the other one. one. Um, so there'd be places where if you got separated in a patrol or maybe after a battle or a gunfight or something, you could reconsolidate with friendly troops. Or maybe you just got lost. As a young officer, that <laughs> is a very, as an old officer, that was also still a good chance. So say you've wandered off, um, you've got your compass upside down and you map the mm. wrong way around. Mm-hmm. Um, in that case, you're probably not going to find the RV anyway. <laughs> Unlikely. Unless you remember your celestial navigation. Ooh, yeah, which you won't. <laughs> Let, let's, face <laughs> let's face it. You won't. Um, but the idea was you'd have sort of an immediate RV, and then if you couldn't find that, you'd go back to maybe a previous night's um, location somewhere you could find. And then if all of that turned to worms and you couldn't find any of your friends, you'd go to the theatre RV. Mm. And apparently <laughs> someone would <laughs> it was all pretty. It was a. It trust was pretty base. loose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was all of these quite odd timings. Yeah, yeah. the theatre RV will open for fifteen minutes on the hour, <laughs> and they were fucking miles away as well. You'd be doing well, like you know, okay, well, yeah, we're, we're just north of Bagram, and the theatre RV is in bloody Townsville or something. It's like, yeah. Um, I don't know how we got onto that, but this can be our theory. So, so what you're essentially is saying is we're miles away <laughs> yeah, right here. We are miles away from, from where we want to be, and you and I are here talking about the, the year that was, 2022. In December 2022. Well, should we start with some stats? Yeah, Tim, you're good at stats. Oh, I like a good stat. 21 episodes in 2022. As always, starting on Australia Day, the 26th of January or thereabouts, mm-hmm. we started with Harry Garside. He was episode yeah. one of season four. We didn't do any RVs outside of this one. 21 straight episodes, which is much lower than our previous years. Yeah. But a lot of that has to do with the amount of travelling that we're back doing. Yeah. Like it was pretty rare that we were in the office at the same time this year. Yeah, we didn't actually see it. Fucking excellent. It was a good year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, um, 
Yeah, stats are down. Stats are down. I mean, I think the first couple of seasons we started off 50-odd. We were trying to do one a week, yeah, yeah. but that that hasn't really been sustainable in the last couple of years. Yeah, and there was a lot of filler. <laughs> I think some of the RVs were... were, um, were no, they were always pretty good. But yeah, okay, 21 episodes. 21 episodes, 104 countries we were listened in. <laughs> Interestingly, it's 104 countries plus unknown. Ooh. And unknown had us uh, stream, downloaded, listened to 2% of episodes this year, wherever unknown is. Really? So yeah. not, a, not a known country? Unknown country is pretty high. Ooh. Could this be one of those, don't some of those billionaires have sort of things in international waters that are non-sovereign states? Oh, that's interesting. Yes, yeah, outside that? territorial waters. Or no fixed abode. Extraterrestrial. Do you reckon we're well, streaming? Maybe it's on the... Intergalactic. <laughs> <laughs> the Mars Lunar Rover. Oh, yeah, that little thing. Uh, Australia. Oh, in fact, you could nearly pick the top four, but I'll guarantee you, you won't pick the fifth country, the fifth country that we're most I'm, I'm going five eyes. We're big in the five eyes. Okay, let's hit, hit me. So Australia, well, that's a no-brainer. Uh, over 80% of our listeners are in Australia. Next. Uh, UK. Incorrect. It's US, but oh. not bad. Australia, US, UK. Number four. Uh, like UAE. No, it's, you said five eyes. <laughs> you're like, Australia, UK, US, and the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I was going for the random one because um, I thought we were big in the UAE. Not bad. It's New Zealand, number yeah. four. Number five. Well, you said it wasn't five eyes. Okay, so Canada doesn't rate. Uh, it does at seven. Okay. Um, can I say UAE? Or I gave you a clue on this, but you won't remember. UAE is six. Yeah. Five. Um, South Sudan. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might get close there because it's not South Sudan, but it is in the South Pacific. Mm. Fiji? No, I gave you a clue. It was several months ago. Oh, and, I, okay. and, I, <laughs> on, <laughs> and I said, check this out. We're like, with a oh, bullet. Yeah, right. Tonga? Uh, Vanuatu. Vanuatu. So Vanuatu at number five. If you're listening in Vanuatu, can you email us and tell us why? <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank you first. Is yeah. Probably more appropriate. Had my honeymoon in Vanuatu. Did amazing really? country. Yeah. yeah. Never been. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. UAE, Canada, Ireland. Yep. Which we had the wonderful pleasure of visiting this year and running a resilience workshop yeah, in. What an epic, just country visit people, yep. such hospitality. Yeah. Uh, then Romania, Germany, and the list goes on to 104 countries plus unknown wow. at 2%. So 21 episodes. And uh, it's not really fair to compare them because they're all slightly different, but they're all broadly equivalent in the amount of downloads. Yeah. Uh, the top few for us to cite a few. Um, and some of this is a bit corrupted because the way that the stats present, they can only do in detail the last six months. Mm-hmm. Um, near IAL. Yeah, near and far. Yep, being indistractable, made the word up. I might make a word up too. You do it all the time. <laughs> I, I might make this word up, indefatigable. Ooh. It's like, um, do you remember distrominate? Yeah, unfortunately that, that indefatigable is already a word. Oh, is it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Latin word. French. Hmm. Uh, unable to be fatigued, broadly speaking. Wouldn't that just be unfatigable? Yeah, no, it's not. Indefatigable. Yeah, yeah. Let's check the etymology in a, in a tick. Sure. Um, 
but that's cool. Okay, yeah, Nier was a, a great episode. Yeah, good. And very polished, wasn't it? Like, um, really just got his point across very convincingly. Very good. And Did not I've ramble. Been... <laughs> <laughs> Unlike the previous fifteen Harvey, minutes of Harvey twenty nine. Um, yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully I press play. Oh yeah, I did record. Press record. Yeah. Um, actually, a lot of people in um, my travels have commented about the near IL episode that it was really helpful in giving order to the way they bring focus and attention to their mm. lives. The time boxing concept. Yeah, yeah, I've used that a little bit. Um, plugging in things. I mean, I'm a slave to my calendar. In fact, so much so that. I have all these sort of weird sync issues with home calendars, work calendars, phone calendars, desktop mm. calendars. But if something's not in there, I go full Ron Burgundy and basically just miss it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is good. And and if something is in there, I do it, in, including you know thinking time or, or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Mark Wales, who we had in this <laughs> very studio, our renovated shower oh, cubicle. Shower <laughs> it's um, small, yeah. but it, we had the big fella in. Always a great chat with Mark. Was was good, um, and he'd just come off the back of winning Survivor. Did we we have the spoiler alert about how he will now be appearing in the next Mad Max? I think we can say that we did ask him on the Resilience Retreat. That's right. Yeah, whether we could yeah. whether we could spoil that. I think he said he was happy to, amongst the ten people there, probably not the. 15 people that listen to this <laughs> podcast, but it's probably secret still safe. Um, the great outback adventurer, Bo Miles. Yeah, what a, what a champion. Just simple, just really simple things. Yeah. Um, but doing... again, well, you know, and it's that um, sincerity and authenticity, I guess, that, and, you know, he's, he's a pretty well-known person. You know, he, he's in demand. He's obviously very, um, you know, got a great story and great stories, but couldn't do enough to, to make the podcast happen. Really generous with his time. Really good, humble sort of bloke. Gee, we, um, yeah, it, I mean, it, it continually impresses me just the caliber of people that are out there. But generally, the really good ones are also really good people. Harry Garso, I'd mentioned before, what a oh, champion as well. And what wisdom on his shoulders. Unfortunately, the, the stats aren't really um, accurate for Harry's episode because he was number one and just the way that the platform's presenting him at the moment. But him and Melissa were amazing. Mm. I mean, the level of maturity, staying with Harry yeah. Garside for a sec. I mean, 24 years old, he speaks with the wisdom of a 60-year-old. Yeah, but also that, that confidence. I mean... You know, I, I look at sort of my journey with ego and relative degrees of insecurity and worrying what people think and mm. trying to find out who you are and all that sort of bullshit that many of us, I guess, deal with. And, and you know, as a now 47-year-old, I think I'm starting to get my head around. But it's almost like he was born with just, this is who I am. Mm. I'm, I'm going to make the, the best crack of it. And, and um yeah, not not have that that influence or that concern, which is just impressive. That's right. Yeah, doing ballet not because it's you know improving his footwork as a pro boxer, but because it makes him feel uncomfortable. Mm, mm. Painting his nails to show a bit of solidarity, and recently wearing a dress mm. at red um, carpet gala events, with his theory being, well, why can't I wear a dress? Yeah. And just challenging, and this is what, and I've been reflecting on this with a, a couple of other sort of parents, we're both parents of teenagers, but I think the, you know, massive generalisation, but the current crop of teenage boys 
seem a lot more comfortable with just being good humans and mm. not trying to be whatever they think a, a bloke should be or whatever they think tough should be, whatever they think cool should be. And um, I'm seeing it at my daughter's school, high school, you know, boys doing stuff because they enjoy it, mm. you know, including theatre, arts, whatever, you know, the, that's not necessarily down that that trope of, of you know, um, masculinity or, or whatever. Yeah, you've got to play football, yeah, you've got to play yeah, cricket yeah. in the summer, you've got to Correct. be fighting down the back of the lockers <laughs> yeah, at lunchtime. Yeah. Smoking yeah. durries behind the bike sheds. Um, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And and obviously people like Harry Garside are championing that um, that kind of individuality and, and doing what, what you're, you're interested in and, and being who you are. Mm. And we talked also um, really quickly before about Melissa Wu. I, I love that yeah. episode. Uh, what pro diving since she was 12 years old yeah. and now diving um you know with with young teenagers yeah. who have turned professional and you mentioned yeah one, ruby. Of, yeah, one yeah. of charlie's friends ruby um and and she Melissa. i mean yeah she's hardcore like all the, the time you know she she's making time for friends and she she seems to have a wonderfully balanced life but mm. she's Training, you know that that's her focus, and and again, just really impressive at a at a really young age. I love watching her. She's in the gym doing Olympic weightlifting, and mm. you know, still plenty of diving training well, out and, of the and, water. And oh, and by in the, the way, water. smashing a um a, an SAS reality show. It's um mm. yeah, in in between it all. Yeah, uh, Brad McElroy. Yeah, uh, Macca, you know, incredibly well listened to. A really powerful episode. Macca at nineteen was a survivor of the Sari Club, Bali bombing 2002. Mm. He's carried mostly the psychological scars of that for 20 years. Unreal. Well, we had him in this studio as well, and I reckon someone was cutting onions in this little <laughs> room at, at, at a few points there. It was, um, it was just very... Um, I don't know, raw or visceral, mm. and, and not, not confected, you know, not... You know, made up or, or any of that sort of stuff. Just again, that that word authenticity. Um, told the story, warts and all, and gee, what a what an incredible, brave, just strong human. Yeah, and very matter of fact, he dropped in a couple of days ago, um, brought us a Christmas card, a big thick thing actually. And yeah. I said to Macca, as we were having a bit of a catch up, I said, "Gee, mate, I hope it's money." <laughs> he said, "It's better than money." I thought, "Oh, it, it must be a voucher for a." bottle shop or something <laughs> and then we opened it mm -hmm. and guess what popped out it was a christmas card on the front it had meowy christmas we opened the christmas card and here's what happened <laughs> so you're like that's pretty funny let's let, let's that, that's yeah i don't know if it's better than money but then it got to about this point. We're like, okay, close the card. We close the card. It didn't turn off. We're like, hang on, open the card, close the card, open the card, close the card. No, no, no. This is a setup. It's not able to be turned off. So I say to Andy, find the kill switch. We can't possibly be listening to this. We tear open the back of the card. It's booby trapped. Really? With a glitter bomb. Fortunately, we identify the booby trap. We bypass the booby trap and, and hit the kill switch. But that's genius. If you want to be really annoying, go online, <laughs> Google Meowy Christmas card, and you can buy them online. They cannot be turned off. <laughs> and when you try and rip out the battery, it sets off glitter the glitter bomb. bomb. 
Genius. That is cool. Thanks, Macca. I well did done. send Macca a note saying you're an absolute, you know what? But uh, he thought it was he thought it was very very funny. Uh, so Mick Nevin, second time round, we had Mick. Um, second, third, second, third, third. Maybe third. it is third. Three Pete. Um, he was he was awesome, and you know maybe more to follow on him because we used Mick on on a resilience retreat recently, yeah. bringing comedy. The link between resilience and comedy. I like pretty it. strong. Yeah, um, I really like Shannon Polson. Yeah, so did I. U.S. Apache pilot. She was one of the first in the U.S. Army. Talking about again breaking stereotypes. Yeah, I I really I I don't know. I was really interested in Shannon's story going into it, and and we'd seen her website, and she looked incredibly impressive, and I was almost, if I'm terribly honest, gearing myself for a bit of kind of, you know, American rah-rah mm. and, and sort of real, um, I guess maybe a bit of bravado, given all that she's done, she'd be definitely justified in, in being that. But again, just an incredibly humble, <laughs> I keep using that word authentic, but mm. the thing that I found really cool um, with her story was, you know, the, the helicopter stuff is amazing and I've got a soft spot for helicopters and, you know, my father and all that sort of stuff, Army Aviation um, will always have a, a sort of soft plate, soft spot in my heart. But the stuff I found really interesting was her own story, her upbringing, you know, her mountaineering, happened to her parents, you know, a tragic a bear attack of all things. And just that aspect of it, in addition to the, the aviatrix um, side of things, I, I thought the, the wider story was just incredible. Mm. She's indefatigable. Absolutely indefatigable. <laughs> <laughs> so indefatigable, etymology, 1580s, um, Latin origin, uh, largely translating to untiring, so in, unable to tire out a bull. (laughs) 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 All right, I could do more etymology on that, but that's enough. Maybe not. That's enough. Um, What else? Um... Reflecting in twenty on twenty twenty two, what did you enjoy? You know, broadly. Well, actually, I've, I've travel, got a, I've got a couple of questions some, for you. Tim. Oh, so there is some stuff. Yeah, there are some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some stuff. Mm-hmm. From your perspective, what was the biggest world development in twenty twenty two? When did Ukraine kick off? Mm. That has to be it. Yeah, oh, and, and even if it was late twenty twenty one, then no, 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 it was February or March or something. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, so that that's it. That's yeah. right, because it was yeah, we were kind of coming out of the cold period, never find a land war in Asia, and, yeah, yeah, and never yeah. invade like, Russia. Like, in the winter, never, yeah, state on state war. Yeah, it's, you know, that's, I guess we'd seen Iraq and Kuwait, but and and isn't that that um wasn't there the a rule for a long time that no two countries with a mcdonald's would ever invade each other right well that's, that's a little social barometer so that's off mm. but what a I, i've reflected to a couple of people i, I spent a quarter of a century in the military kind of thinking we 
grown past that. <laughs> that, yeah. that we were, were beyond state-on-state war. We'd still have proxy wars. We'd still have skirmishes. We'd still have rubbish and conflict and all that sort of thing. But but that full-on state-on-state aggression, that real nationalist drive, expansionist sort of um, ideology, I, I thought we were past it, but it turns out we're not. And how about the leadership takeaways? Two yeah. very contrasting yeah. leaders... Um, yeah, we, and, we've got to be careful which side of the equation we sit on because yeah. naturally we will expose our bias. Well, also, and, and I think it does cause us to challenge our own propaganda. You know, mm. what, what are we getting fed? And it, it is so easy in all of these things to paint an other or a bad guy. Putin seems to be doing a pretty good, good job of painting himself Self. as a as a sort of Hitler-esque bad guy. Um, but, you know, you've got to where it's through a filter of a Western lens and we're, we're probably got confirmation bias for all the, the, the particularly crazy um, stuff. But even maybe taking that into account, yeah, you, you look at the, the kind of dysfunction and, and megalomania of, of a dictator-style regime that, that manifests in Putin versus the man of the people, mm. Vladimir Zelensky. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't need a ride. I need weapons. I need ammunition. What And, and isn't that just a... You know, that's a Churchill-esque mm. quote that is so powerful. Mm. Yeah, And the power of the people. I mean, I, the, the community just galvanised by this um, and the amount of you know, difficulty the Russians have had to, to get and hold any yeah. piece of terrain. Yeah, which I think speaks, you know, again, that thing that we haven't had an existential conflict well, through the Western lens since the sort of end of the Second World War. And I think we've we've potentially forgotten that you know if it's not a discretionary war, people are fighting for their very existence, for their way of life, for their culture, and you know, gee, we're slow to learn. Mm. Russia's particularly slow to learn. I mean, Afghanistan, Chechnya, now this, mm. um, but yeah, we're not far behind in terms of some of the the hijinks we've pulled and from mm. the Western perspective. But yeah, it it it's kind of scary, I think, um, that that sort of things back on the table. I must admit, I am I feel a bit better. I, I, in the, the immediate uh, sort of months after Putin invaded, I, I was really, th- you know, concerned about the signals that were sending to Xi and Taiwan and, and those sort of precedents in terms of the world response, um, you know, and how that would play into the Chinese calculus for that move. Mm. I think as it's dragged on... Um, you know, the, the Russians have stuffed the logistics up on a four-hour drive, mm. let alone a, a couple of hundred miles of, of sea-air gap um, that, that China would be facing in Taiwan. Hopefully it's causing, just from a pure military logistics perspective, it, it's causing um, pause for, for reconsideration in in the, the South China Sea. Mm. And, you know, now into winter, it's difficult to see how either side could win. General Winter. Mm. Been around since Napoleon. Yeah, mm, mm. you can turn Stalingradish yes. if it hasn't already. Yeah, yeah, no, it'd be, be pretty ugly, and and also pretty ugly the um, you know the the recent targeting of, of power grid. Um, yeah. I was doing a workshop actually with a, a power utility yesterday, and we we're talking about purpose and and citing you know, look what happens when you turn the lights out. It it really, I mean that that access to power that we all take for granted. Um, you know, yeah, having that deliberately targeted as a as a way of trying to break the will of the people, it's um yeah, pretty nasty, mm. nasty move. Mm, mm. 
Well, that's number one. That has to be. Yeah, I thought you know, you'd say that, that number year. one, and 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 you know we've, we've <coughs> probably we've probably got our times man of the year, right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think it is. I think he's actually at a dollar one to be time man of the year. <laughs> Right. If you if you're a betting, get on it get bet, on it. betting man of the year, <laughs> oh, that's <right>. good. Yeah, <laughs> that that could be a good investment. Um, I actually reckon um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I, I agree with you, Ukraine biggest world development. I actually think there's been a couple just recently which are, are going to be harbingers of things to come. Um, advances in fusion technology. So um, recent as in last week, I think, um, sort of small-scale experiment that, that um, was able to, to release more energy from fusion than it put in, which could bode mm-hmm. very well for, um, you know, the, the energy future. Mm-hmm. Um, and also advances in AI. I don't know. We were talking yesterday very briefly about this chat GPT, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really fascinating slash scary, this... Uh, Essentially, a, a, a computer that passes the Turing test that, mm-hmm. that is indistinguishable in a lot of cases from uh, a human interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been programmed and fed and, and sort of curated by humans, but um, can give you sort of recipes if you throw a bunch of ingredients at it, if you ask it to write a short story in the uh, format of Haruki Murakami about a dog who found an umbrella. It will do a very good job of that. It can write college essays. Um, it can write pretty much uh, pretty advanced code, 98% sort of fit for, for a lot of coding applications. So <clears throat> really starting to sort of progress into this fourth industrial revolution where computers are not just challenging the physical capability, or machines are not just challenging the physical capabilities of humans, but the, the cognitive and creative, mm. um, which does raise, as we discussed yesterday, all sorts of wonderful questions about what does it mean to be a human and is there anything unique about being a human uh, that is in that's different from a computer that can can do the same sort of things so mm. I reckon it's some interesting questions and yeah I reckon you know you look at the Terminator 2 when they have those wonderful sort of backstories of, <laughs> of how mm. things led to it um, yeah you, you you see these kind of technologies it'll be interesting to see how they they manifest we still don't have a hoverboard though that was supposed to happen back to, <laughs> back to the future <laughs> the DeLorean yeah, cannot yeah, go forward, cannot yeah. go back in time. Where's the hoverboard? Can someone, well, don't worry about AI. Let's get a good quality hoverboard going. Uh, this is why the machines will find very little resistance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll be a mere speed bump in their way <laughs> yeah. to world domination. No, I think, Tim, you'll be one of the first strung up for you. Buddy. <laughs> I don't know what they do. Keep your eyes open and use your cognitive power to, to feed the machine. You bite the hand that feeds until it bites back or until it bleeds in. Ooh, baby, can't you understand or can't you see the pain that you're putting me through? Yeah, I got my eye on you. Um, okay, so the biggest world development, Ukraine, slash AI, slash fusion. Book. Best mm-hmm. book you've read this year. I'm reading Mastery, uh, Robert Greene at the moment. Okay. In fact, you know me, I'm reading about eight books at mm-hmm. the same time. Um, <laughs> you know my biggest complaint about Mastery? The font's too small. <laughs> Remember I showed you the font. Look at this. Yeah, it's pretty small. Look, it's, it's interesting. <clears throat> Reinforces 
many of the things that we've talked about, written about, on how do you become a master, mm-hmm. uh, a virtuoso, it just comes down to belief and hard work, you know, making contributions. Uh, there's a, some really good evidence that the way you become an expert is not with these grand plans. I mean, Mozart didn't set out to be, you know, an amazing composer. In fact, interestingly, his father dissuaded him from being a composer. He said he should be doing other things because that's what earned money and being a composer didn't earn money. And Mozart, Mozart decided, I'm not listening to you, Dad. You know, you're exposing your bias, your mm. prejudice, what you think I can't do. And I'm going to prove you wrong. And kind of the rest is history. So it's the incremental little things. And having a look at some of the research alongside how do we get really good at anything, there's plenty of research, you know, looking at you being a a runner. On running, runners seem to be used a lot in research. Um, You know, how does a runner become really good? Well, they're not thinking about the 50 miler or the, you know, sort of 100k ultra. They're just thinking about the next stop sign or catching the person in the blue shorts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it comes back to the 10,000 hours, you know. The, the, deliberate practice. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Deliberate conscious practice. It comes back to me high, cheek, sent me high, flow state. Yeah. What are you doing that's a little bit more difficult than you're comfortable with? Mm-hmm. Um, and consistency. How are yeah. you building these habit patterns that enable you to just get incrementally better? Yeah. Look, I think I think the, the jury is in on this, that there's so much... Um, you know, everything from, I guess, Duckworth stuff on grit through mm. to, um, uh, you know, uh, Dweck stuff on growth mindset through to obviously Ericsson's work on deliberate practice. You know, it, it all reinforces that same thing, that it is about having that approach of, you know, deliberately going in with achievable stretch goals and then working on those, critiquing them, reinforcing, yeah. you know, progressing. I, I read an interesting article, actually, the the Farnham Street blog, if, if anyone's... I was going to say if anyone's not doing that. But anyway, it's a good blog. Uh, but it was talking about deliberate practice and, and a really in-depth sort of um, uh, blog on this. It, it said, though, interestingly, that deliberate practice is necessary but not sufficient for, for world standard. It, it was very clear saying that not everyone can be Roger Federer or mm-hmm. Jakob Ingebrigtsen, for you 1,500-metre fans out there, um, you know, that... You need to do it to get to that level, but not everyone who does it will get to that level. Mm. There are still genetics. There is still mm-hmm. luck. Mm-hmm. There is still environment. You know, all of these things that that sort of play into it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it is absolutely – I like the, the term it used, exactly that, necessary but insufficient um, to, to actually achieve virtuosity. Yeah. In fact, it's interesting you talk about genetics. Yesterday, talking to a psych um, who had been a – you know, semi-professional runner, mm. had never quite made it in the big time, but it's yeah. certainly been around them. And he talked about running with Steve Monaghetti, mm-hmm. who around about my height, so 5'10"-ish, 60 kilos was his running weight. Like the, at my leanest, I'm exactly that same height, mm. 78. So I'm, yeah. I'm nearly giving away 20 kilograms, which would be a phenomenal amount when it comes to, you know, a running event. They are, like, you know, as you say, I've, I've sort of gotten into distance running and, and interested in the, the sport. They are lean, mm. like ridiculously lean. And you sort of don't get an appreciation until you see them up close. But, yeah, those kind of comparisons. Like, where would you find? <laughs> Actually, you could, I'm looking at you <laughs> I've now. i yeah. a little two-pound two pudding just, just to... <laughs> yeah, I reckon you could find <laughs> some of that. But, but like, yeah, even stripped down, your, your mid-70s, high-70s... Mm. Um, 
and I mean, obviously, the no upper body muscle. You know, there's that yeah. real specialisation aspect. Mm. And there's even some really interesting stuff. The the debate on genetics in the East African uh, running community, which is obviously um, dominant at the moment, um, it sort of waxes and wanes, and there's kind of these racist undertones sometimes when when people sort of start going into a certain genetic groups predisposed to different things. But um, one of the things they do identify is that generally, you know, they'll have long limbs and, and nice levers, but uh, very um, slim calves, you know, so mm. the things at the extremities, That's which obviously have to travel the furthest, so yeah. your, your calves and your ankles and, and those sorts of things are, are you very... You don't want too much weight. You don't want too much weight. And, and the sort of pendulum effect of, yeah. of having lighter calves um, is apparently quite significant. Right. Um, yeah, so so some fascinating things, and nature and nurture obviously contribute. And that would be true with, I mean, there'd be many sporting events that are comparable. Weightlifting would be one. You know, yeah. if you've got levers that have to move further, it then you're going to Rowing's a massive one. Exactly. Yeah. There's a great example. Basketball, um, you know, sort of height, power, and the transferability, yeah. things in between. Yeah. Uh, look, and sort of coming back to that mastery virtuosity, I mean, we, we talked about the adult learning cycle with a bunch of clients down in Hobart, I'm fortunate yeah. enough to do work with the Antarctic Division, about that plan, act, review, learn, and how yeah. often in our organisations we just do the first two things. We plan, act, plan, act, plan, act. And we don't or plan. Even, we just, just act, 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 act. Particularly if we're looking and, and talking about leadership. Sorry to jump in, but um, <laughs> no, sorry, 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 sorry to talk while I was... Sorry to be talking while you're interrupting. <laughs> yeah, um, but... We, we think about we just do stuff and, and hopefully get better, but that's not deliberate practice. Mm. You know, it's not a matter of just getting mindless reps in. It is actually sitting down before it and saying, okay, I want to get better, not just at leadership, you know, this big broad thing, tomorrow I'll do some leadership and get better at it. It's like really necking down, I think, and, and I like the idea of a hypothesis. My hypothesis is mm. if I were a better public speaker, I'd be a more effective leader. Mm-hmm. If I was able to have difficult conversations, I'd be a more effective leader. If I was able to communicate more clearly or you know, um, sort of translate strategic vision into tangible day-to-day action, I'd be a better leader. Mm. And then run an experiment, you know, put it into practice, and then, as you said, review collect the data, analyse it, modify your hypothesis. Yeah, that's right. And share the learnings, you know, kind of that's the true, that's the component of knowledge into wisdom, isn't yeah. it? You know, how do we embed it um, in order to institutionalise it, to make it part of culture? And there's a lot of risk and threat in that for leaders because you might get to that review bit and realise the decisions I made were poor. Yeah. And in a true um, environment where everyone's got an equal and powerful voice, that dissenting voice you might not like. Yeah, but again, you know, the workshops we're doing with emerging leaders, you know, this paradox that vulnerability is in fact strength, Mm. that, you know, time and again I've had, um, you know, particularly with with one group in a a big company um, that we run the same sort of workshop for for their um, uh, sort of uh, early junior leaders and... You know, we talk about leadership characteristics they like, and time and again, it is leaders that can stand next to mistakes they've made, leaders that can stand up and said, I blew this, or this was the wrong decision, and this is how we're going to address it and fix it. And they say, that's excellent leadership, and I agree. And I reckon I spent probably about 15 years of my life thinking that's the last thing you want to do as a leader. You don't want to display chinks in your armour. You don't want to, you know, you want to go through pretending you know it all, or you've got all the right answers. And of course, that's just bullshit you, mm. you can't mm. and so yeah I, I think that idea of having that strength 
to be vulnerable and to to sort of be open about mistakes, to learn from others, to to suppress the ego, to ask the questions, what do you think? Maybe your idea is better. Mm. Uh, again, great leadership characteristics. Maybe a little insight into your soul and a and a point for reflection is, who gave you a secret Santa present and what what was it? Mine was. <laughs> How to Tell a Joke. So Emily <laughs> gave me this book called How to Tell a Joke, which is actually quite interesting. It, it isn't really about no, how to tell a joke. It's, it's a book about yeah Cicero yeah. and how he used to hold court, but mixing you know politics with some philosophy with some humour. Um, yeah, it's it's quite clever, very insightful. We'll link to to Mastery and Cicero in the the show notes, and actually also to that Farnham Street article on on deliberate practice. I think that was really good. Your reading, I've been really enjoying fiction. Um, uh, I mentioned Haruki Murakami before. He was mm. close to my tongue, Japanese author. Um, yeah, I've, I've read a number of his over the, the last year. I really loved Norwegian Wood. It was just a, a, a really, I don't know, a, a friend of mine who also really likes Murakami just described his writing as very comforting. Mm-hmm. You know, you just read it and everything feels okay, even though he's, he's addressing a lot of, I guess, pretty philosophical issues about the human condition. Um, and then on the back of that, a, a friend just last week gave me a book called Clara and the Sun by Kazui Zaguro, mm-hmm. who's a, a Nobel laureate, had written Remains of the Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I thought, was an excellent book. It, it's about a, an AI, you know, again, hence the, the kind of recent in, interest in that. Um, but an artificial friend and, and this idea of... of what it is to be human, what it is to feel love and distinction, human and machines and decision-making and, and rationality and that sort of thing. But but a very easy-to-read sort of parable, I, I guess, about it. Mm. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. I'm in a little Japanese author kick at the moment. Mm. Mm. And what about uh, things, places, other enjoyment in 2022? My highlight trip was Saudi Arabia. Mm. I went there with Andy um, with a, a client, some a, a work trip, Um and just a, an amazing, fascinating country. I mean, obviously, all that's going through um, MBS, the, the Crown Prince, uh, Mohammed bin Sultan, um, looking at, at modernising Sulman. Sulman. Mm. Uh, modernising the country and and sort of bringing things forward. And, and clearly, not without controversy, not without mm. uh, rocky roads, not without uh, detractors and and sort of um, opposition. Uh, but yeah, a very different country to what it was. My first time there. Um, been all around it in the region, but never into Saudi, and a very different country to what I expected. Um, it, it was more liberal than I expected. Still not liberal, <laughs> mm, <laughs> but, mm. but you know, certainly um, we saw uh, ladies without head uh, headwear, without the the um, hijab. We saw lots of women driving. Again, you know, that's not a liberal sort of thing by world standards, but but by Saudi standards. Um, very interesting, you know, in terms of working on the plant, uh, the uh, relationship between the, the Saudi people and the, the particularly the immigrant workers was very positive, which is different to other places in the region that, that I've seen. Um, and the food was incredible. Mm. Absolutely off the hook. Um, really, really good food um, everywhere we went, including our, our last meal when our very generous and, and very friendly, the people were amazing, a very friendly host um, found out that Andy and I had never had camel. Mm. They they sort of were, were, were aghast and, and made sure that the next day's lunch was camel, which was delicious. Yeah, it's good. And camel's milk, specifically camel's yeah, milk that, ice, ice cream. cream. Check yeah. that out. If you ever have a chance to have camel's milk ice cream, it's, it's yeah. rock and roll. Yeah. 
No, so that, that was a very enjoyable trip from a, for a whole bunch of reasons. And they are progressive. MBS has been, you know, very forward thinking in how do we create more interest in Saudi mm. Arabia. In Arabia, it's it's nearly life after oil. And check out, there's a giga project called Project Neom. Neom. November Echo Oscar Mike, worth a look, yeah. and then a range of mega projects. I've got a couple of mates working over there. Yeah, um, a good mate of mine has been in and out doing some work on one of the mega projects. But just mind-boggling the scale, the magnitude, the vision, the appetite for risk, yeah. uh, financial risk, and beyond. You now all sort, all assortment of risk. Yeah. But yeah, like you say, the the life beyond fossils, which is, I think, an important question all around the world, and mm. but particularly for those oil-rich, oil-dependent currently mm. nations. Um, what about you? Travel highlight? Uh, well, I, I really like, I mean, plenty of great stuff this year. It was nice to be travelling again. Yes. I'd forgotten <laughs> a lot of the poor things about travel, like getting to the airport and mm-hmm. waiting around, twiddling your thumbs. Yeah, and it's different now, isn't it? There's there's well, not that surety yeah. that your bag's going to arrive or that your next flight's going to actually take yeah, off. Yeah, there has been plenty of delays and even a cancellation or two. But we had a rocking time in the UK and yeah, Ireland. That was, good. that was that was awesome. I, don't, I can't remember whether we've actually talked about that, but it it was um, great. And actually, we spent a week in London. Um, my middle child, eldest daughter Emily, came and joined us mm. for for that week. Um, and actually, we were talking about oh, feeling a bit guilty because we didn't have our schedule full for the week. Yeah, but that was part of the beauty. I think you know we were able to get up. Um, end of the day Australia time while we were in London yeah, reconcile a few things call the office make sure there was nothing we needed to close out and then we're off yeah we're off to Tate Modern and you know jump on a sightseeing bus and go and see those things that I mean I hadn't been to London for oh, maybe four five years so it was just kind of nice yeah the same here and yeah so it was great to see all those things again um, and look, I really enjoyed actually the work engagements we had over there. Mm. Very different mm. style, you know, very um, high-end, uh, big multinational corporate resilience presentation. Yeah, uh, the did. trading floor, plenty of stress on that yes, floor. Yes, yes, yeah, so, and, and great folk there. And then up into the north of Ireland, um, County Cavan, for just an incredible weekend, really, yeah. um, with uh, a, a smaller sort of uh, community-based group, uh, again, looking at resilience. And, gee, I, I remember walking into that, and they were tough Irish folk. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember, you know, there were, it was, it was, I don't know, whatever, there were 60, 70-odd people there in a, in a sort of community hall, and there were some, some tough old folk, men and women, with arms crossed, and I thought, oh, we're about to get eaten alive when we start talking about <laughs> great gratitude and meditation. Yeah. Um, but just so open to it and so touched by mental health and well-being. You know, mm. all of them came, well, not all of them, but so many of them came up afterwards talking about losing mates to suicide or friends to suicide and, and you know, the impacts of, you know, economic downturns and, and how mm. it just drove sort of communities into into depression, essentially, mm. um, and and really bullish on, on these ideas of, of taking charge of their own well-being and, and looking at at doing things that could promote the, the better outcomes. Yeah, and we were so well looked after, generous in time, um, generous financially. <laughs> I mean, showing us around, taking us to yeah. dinner, it's just amazing. Um, we thoroughly enjoyed that. 2023, would we go back to UK, Europe? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. no-brainer. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'd be, that would be awesome, assuming we can fit it into the schedule. Um, 
Okay, so we've, we've ticked off your, your book of the year. Mm-hmm. Music discovery. Ooh. Have you got a song, band? I you, have you get to. get out you, to some, some um, decent live music? Uh, yeah, periodically. Yeah. Peri- well, this is loaded because I'd be hung, drawn, and quartered by my son and his mates, mm. who probably won't listen anyway, uh, if I didn't mention And Enjoy. And Enjoy. And on Enjoy Spotify? Band. They are on Spotify. A few tunes now on Spotify. We'll link, link to um, their... My son playing the drums and actually a few of his schoolmates yep. um, who are doing yeah some really cool thing. They practice hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but actually, all of his mates have been coming over and sort of jamming underneath our house. And yeah, it's it's pretty great. Cool. It's really yeah. good fun. They they have a lot of fun, which you know is is probably one of the big driving reasons. But they've been playing some pubs, and for anyone in Perth, they're playing Mojos. They're opening, um, I think, on the seventeenth of January. It might be the seventeenth or eighteenth of January in Mojos, which is my favourite live music destination in Perth. It is a tiny little music bar. Um, I mean, you can nearly touch the roof, can't you? It's it's an incredible place. Yeah. And a rite of passage, it, it's sort of, mm. you know, the, the Eskimo Joe Tame Impalas of the world, you know, they've all played there. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty iconic sort of venue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I'd, I'd have to say and enjoy, I have been enjoying going and watching them. And, enjoy. and you know, the the little pump they get after they've played yeah, that it's set, cool. you know that feeling. It's, I've, I've yeah, never it's really a great, been up there. Yeah, it is a great feeling, regardless of, of how the, the set goes. It, it, yeah, you f- it's your little rock star moment. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. and the adrenaline. They'll talk about anything. They're so excited. They're talking about this fast. <laughs> uh, but it's yeah, it's been just an absolute blast to watch them come off stage, and they're stoked about just being up there and Very entertaining. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, good one. What outside of K-pop? What are you listening to? Um, a lot of my listening has been, as, as you noted, sort of getting back into running. You know, I've, I've been doing a lot of. I guess rediscovery and rediscovering albums, like mm-hmm. listening to albums, you know, when you've got a bit of time on your hands uh, as you do in a run. Um, and, and so, you know, some of the classic, or when I say classic rock albums, things like Appetite for Destruction, mm. that is a good, well put together album. 
Um, another one that I reckon is just epic and probably underrated on the global stage is Vulture Street, the the Powderfinger oh, rock album. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been enjoying stringing those together. Um, I, as a kid, was into the Beach Boys and have mm-hmm. gotten back into, and just I'm I'm a you know I think we've we've made mockery of my my um, guilty pleasure music. You know I like pop music, um, just catchy hooks. You know often it's curated and mass produced, but you know there's something about those kind of earworm songs. The Beach Boys did it well, and then almost that Beatles esque path into to sort of more experimental stuff and and uh, you know some of their their later tunes yeah so i've, I've been rediscovering that over over how do you pronounce that word over and over over and over um but k-pop mate i read an article it's got to be about three months ago on the band bts and and what a uh, sort of amazing you know massive thing it was and i'd never heard of them and i was vaguely aware of k-pop in fact I was an early adopter. I was actually in Seoul when Gangnam Style, that size song, mm-hmm. was big in Korea before it had broken, and like you couldn't you couldn't go anywhere, coffee shop down the street, whatever, without hearing this Gangnam Style, and it's catchy, obviously. And so I I sort of got onto it, and I got onto I like to think I, I brought it back to <laughs> back to the Western world. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I hadn't sort of tracked any K-pop since then, and yeah. it... it on the back of that article, started listening to a few tunes, and and in that same guilty pleasure fashion, there's some really well put together, catchy pop tunes and really interesting, you know, just the the um, segue between Hangul Korean and English, you know, in the same sentence, and it, I don't know, I think it probably makes sense. I mean, it's very much a bilingual country, and so you know, these these Korean kids that are, are sort of rocking out in these two languages. You know, in the same sort of rap breakdown. Like, it, it's a really interesting um, sort of, I guess, collision of cultures or, or whatever. But, yeah, mm. it, it's it's catchy. I like it. Mm. And I also actually quite like, I think the, the Hangul language is pretty cool and hearing rap in Hangul is, is interesting. The, the, the shape of the words, the shape of the sounds is very different. Um, but it's kind of cool not knowing what it means. Mm. <laughs> You're sort of rocking along and Sing along. You, you occasionally Google it and, and there's some quite banal stuff that they're they're singing about but um it's catchy it's uh it's funny the amount of people in my life that i've met Mm. from countries that are not native english speaking countries who have learned english from listening to music Mm. and watching english television i guess that's a way of doing it isn't it you know you you kind of learning key words although the music must be a bit more difficult than watching a children's english television program yeah i suppose so uh, I listened to a podcast with Anthony Kiedis from, from Red Hot Chili, Chili Peppers. Peppers. Yeah. Um, Joe Rogan talking with him, yeah. uh, a couple of hours episode. Uh, incredibly, like for a guy who was an addict, mm. has sort of come through have you that. Have scar tissue? I have not. Oof. Yeah, have not. But the things he does for him now... Mm-hmm. Draw direct parallels into how they contribute to his resilience. You know, close group of friends and family, yep. uh, very tight with them, still great mates with everyone in the band. Yep. Uh, meditation, mindfulness, breathing techniques. Before he goes on stage, he brings himself to a point of focus so that he he's not flat, blunt. That he is, you know, he's got that sense of arousal, so he can perform. It's like really quite interesting, and then physically fit. Um, yeah, yeah. The things that he does for himself, just to keep well and active. 
Well, I and mean, also, you know, his job involves getting on stage wearing nothing but a sock, <laughs> <laughs> strategically placed <laughs> tube sock. Oh, yeah, but um, who, who didn't watch him or doesn't watch him and think, geez, I wish I had a physique like that? He's cut up for summer. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, the video clip of them playing on the roof of the building, uh, Venice Beach. Venice Beach. Somewhere California. Mm. Um, oh, just it's got to be California. I mean, you know, clearly every song is a, a love song to California. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But really good listen, um, you know, for someone who even, you know, super famous, probably doesn't need to be doing a lot of these things, mm. but realises that in order to ensure his happiness and longevity, they're necessary. Yeah. Really quite interesting. No, good story. Um What's the coolest little discovery you've had this year? Is there something you found this year that has sort of moved the needle in your life or made things better or is just mm. cool or just grabbed your attention in some way? Mm. I don't so much do gimmicky things, and I know that's not what you're asking, mm. but trying to do things a bit more consistently. I mean, you know, I love my bike. Mm. That's not, not a this year thing, but trying to be a bit more consistently when, on it. When did you start gravel biking? I thought that last was year was it? Yeah, it must have been middle of last year. I I didn't even know what gravel biking was. Yeah, had some mates of mine that said, "Hey, look, let's cycle the Tasmanian Trail." Yep. I was scratching my head, thinking, "What do you do that on a mountain bike?" And they're like, "No, no, you you use a gravel bike, of course," um, which is the hybrid between a road bike and a mountain bike, um, and you can configure all sorts of things on it. You know these bike packing it's called so mm. all of these different packs that go on your handlebar and your frames off the uh, seat bag and various other locations that let you live off your bike um, but yeah no that that was sort of middle of last year but trying to be a bit more consistent and i had a, a super cool experience well we were down in hobart and i took my bike yep and rode the tasmanian trail in a in a gap week between two bits of delivery which was and which solo was yeah, oh, the first day and a half with a really great mate of yeah. mine, Rob, which was which was awesome, and then the yeah the balance of where were we about five days just trudging around by myself, mm. including uh, snowing off the back of Mount Wellington. You sort of come over part of Mount Wellington. We're not not as close to Hobart, and it was cold. <laughs> You're not kidding. <laughs> it was cold, <laughs> and I thought oh, I should stop, but it's too cold. I'm not stopping. Um, and then, of course, you know, you come down down the mountain and finish up in a place called Dover. Um, and, yeah, oh, amazing, yeah. It's just very different. Well, thing one, there are hills in Tasmania. We don't have too many hills here in, in Western Australia. Well, and not too much snow. No, not much snow, and that was the other thing. Yeah, the water, the amount of water, just incredible creeks, streams, rivers. Mm. Um, I actually had to get my bike serviced on the way. Uh, when I came back, it wasn't working as well as it should the uh, the derailleur clutch was having some issues and it was because of all the rivers i had to push yeah, my right. bike through you drowned it <laughs> yeah drowned it yeah. um any wildlife yeah plenty of wildlife um i didn't see any snakes but apparently in summer there are a lot of tiger snakes right but pretty much everything else um yeah all of the birds we don't <laughs> get to so the eastern rosella i actually didn't is it new zealand that doesn't have any snakes and ireland yeah yeah that's I right thought most island Island, I-S-L-A-N-D's, can't you get rid of them? Apparently not in Tasmania. If you're you're cycling the Tassie Trail, you're you're seeing snakes regularly. 
and uh, also in Karnak Island, <laughs> so oh, yeah. a small island off the coast of um, WA, just off Garden Island, that we'd, we'd often do water operations around. Um, and it's a breeding ground for CSIRO anti-venom, isn't it? Like they, oh, I think dang. they breed every kind of nasty, dangerous snake out there. Um, and then some <laughs> idiot <laughs> goes ashore, catches them, milks them, because mm. you can milk anything with nipples, Greg. <laughs> or fangs. Or fangs. Uh, and very bravely uh, contributes to, to making antivenines, which clearly save lives. So Karnak Island looks good. Don't Not a good place to raft up. Did see kayak out there once and then heard about the snakes. Just <laughs> <laughs> put my tippy toes on the beach and thought, I'm not going any further. I've, I've got visions. Have you ever seen there's a David Attenborough um, documentary? And it's it's this life cycle of these. Uh, it's like on the Galapagos or something. And anyway, this little baby lizard hatches. And for some reason, its mum <laughs> lays the eggs sort of 50 metres from the coast where it's going to be safe or where its colony is or something, and it's got to do this thunder run. And essentially, these snakes just come out from everywhere. And this, this, you know, bunch of baby iguanas or whatever they are are trying to outrun these snakes. I reckon that's what Karnak Island could be like. I did a Google not long ago, and I've just had to do it again to fact-check myself, but there's a place in the world called Snake Island off Brazil population, a zero but a shitload of snakes. <laughs> the aptly named Snake Island. Exactly. Or critically endangered, venomous, golden lancehead pit viper. Nothing about that sounds good. No. As a diet of birds. Yeah. The snakes became trapped on the island thousands of years ago, following mm. the end of the last ice age, when rising ocean levels disconnected the island Cut them from the mainland. Mm. Yeah. It's closed to the public. <laughs> want to go there anyway <laughs> to protect the people and the snake population the golden but mostly the people mostly the people yeah okay well yeah no that is a that is a pretty cool moment I'll give you that speaking about snakes uh, wildlife and uh privileges mm. amazing to spend a week this year you and i walking country with the nyamal people wasn't it that that was definitely a highlight for me in 2022 the nyamal ranges um, being able to yeah live out in the bush with them for a week. Yeah, that was awesome. Do we see any snakes? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't any snakes. Oh, okay. A lot of wildlife, though. Yeah, there was a lot of wildlife. Um, and yeah, what a well, and and rock art. I mean, what an incredible. We did see part a snake. No, we did see a snake. Remember, they caught a python. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which I don't like snakes. Not my favourite thing snakes. in the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I can live with snakes. But no, super, um, super privileged. It was an amazing week to see um, some of the heritage areas, the rock art, just mind-blowing rock art. Incredible. Um, and and so much of it. Oh, well, you, you remember the rock wall down that gorge we were walking along that went for a couple of kilometres. Yeah. We asked the question, how long does this continue for? I don't know. We've never actually yeah. walked to the end. It's amazing. Yeah, but incredible. That was super cool. Yeah, that was a great week. And special thanks to, to Mark, too, for having us up, yeah. um, the ranger coordinator, yeah. and all of the boys. They were just and incredible fact, it, human it's beings. It's a, a lovely segue. Mark um, posed a really interesting philosophical question when I, I caught up with him the other day. Um, we were talking about um, this idea of when to quit. Mm-hmm. You know, we and I think we've touched on this in some earlier episodes. You know, you get all these wonderful startup mantras: never quit, never you know, fail forward, keep going, blah 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 blah, never ever give up. Um, but what if you're flogging a dead horse? 
you know, what are those indicators? And, and in fact, it was on the back of um, a, a lady called Annie Duke um, mm-hmm. wrote a book called Quit, uh, The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away, which talks about, uh, well, from her personally, um, so she's a journalist but uh, became a poker player. And, you mm. know, I know when to hold Kenny them. Rogers' wisdom. <laughs> when Apparently you need to know when to fold them. And know when to walk away and know when to run. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Annie Duke sort of uh, carrying these lessons on into to sort of wider life about, you know, having that judgment when when to, to sort of walk away from other projects. Mm. What are your thoughts? What, what would be sort of the indicators that, that you should quit? There's probably a bit of Malcolm Gladwellism here, isn't it? You know, what's the tipping point that indicates that what you're doing isn't going to benefit your life, mm. benefit your physiology, your health, and so on and so forth? I don't know, because there's, there's good quitting and there's probably good quitting. You know, the good quitting is, well, I'm going to give up cigarettes. Mm. Um, the good quitting is like, you know, your brother, Dr. Dan Pronk, trying to go pro triathlete, realising he's not making it. So, it, so I, I mean, there's distinctions, isn't it? And and I think that latter example you use is that, that one where it's it's a bit harder because, you know, you're pursuing a goal. Something like, you yeah, love. Yeah, not, not smoking doughs. Or <laughs> also something you might love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, if, you, if we're talking about meth, then, then quitting is good, good, right? But if you're talking about your startup or a life goal. The thing or, you're passionate or, about. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, everyone and Mozart's dad telling him, no, you'll never be a composer. You know, those ones where conventional or contemporary wisdom says, no, never give in, follow your dream, keep going towards that goal. But maybe there are times where, no, that goal's unachievable in its mm. current format or going to be counterproductive or, or going to be a net loss for you in in your, all facets of your life. Well, I, maybe I could introduce the wisdom of Napoleon Hill. I mean, is this the place for your mastermind group who are looking at things impartially, independently, mm. without bias or prejudice. I mean, you're probably so close to that yeah. trying to be a pro triathlete or insert your thing yep. that you don't know what's in the blind spot. You are just blindly yep. trying to get there, get there, get there and realise you're not going to make it. The, the financial decisions in some ways make themselves. So for yep. things like startups, you're either turning the numbers or you're not. Yeah, but then that starts bringing in the sunk cost fallacy. You mm-hmm. know, like, oh, gee, we're now three years in. We've invested. Have three to, have to commit dollars. even harder. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't let that. We can't waste that. Yeah. I think the mastermind group could be really powerful mm-hmm. here. I mean, well, we know you can get so absorbed in yeah. your one thing, yeah. your misery, your success, or pseudo success that having a different point of view has been. Well, it's been awesome for us. Absolutely, and and an impartial, non-agenda-driven one, and I think that's what Napoleon Hill gets at. And we we have that interesting discussion about you know the the role of your family, and you know I I, I still maintain that you know there's incredible support, and and I know you've never challenged this that you can get from your family. Mm. Um, uh, so we we don't want to discard that, but yeah, they they are close to it, and they they do have the biases and the preconceptions and the potentially limitations mm. um, that may be an impartial member of your mastermind group friend mm. uh, may not have, and maybe not to get to that tipping point where it's it's quit or do not quit, where it's as binary as that. But can you identify along the way where there's moments to adjust, adapt, be a bit versatile? Yeah. Um, to pivot, you know, so don't quite go in that direction. Let's just make some adjustments. Yeah. And if I could give us give one of example from us, um, we're very privileged to call Rob Redenbach a mate of ours, mm. and he's been excellent in offering us pretty blunt 
um, feedback on some of the things that we do, mm. um, our presentations and workshops. And Rob would say, we're in the margins here. You know, it, it's mm. going to improve things by, you know, X small percent mm. or percentage of percent. But it's still little adjustments, little yeah, improvements. Yeah. That hopefully, pursuit. Yeah, yeah. Making us or going always a little further. <laughs> Uh, but making us hopefully a little bit more engaging, the messages a bit more sticky, um, and forcing us to reflect on the things that we're saying. Like he has course corrected me on some stories that I've told where he said, oh, don't like it, um, too binary, it could be polarising. Mm. Um, and so I have adjusted some of the stuff I talk about as a result of his feedback. Yeah, and you, you definitely want that, uh, you know, that, that aspect of your mastermind group who will give you good candid feedback and won't uh, the well I was going to say won't care about your feelings clearly they care about your feelings but you know won't won't not say something because they're worried about hurting your feelings if they think it's going to be positive for you yeah I'm smiling because I'm thinking of a couple of circumstances where, <laughs> where I've come out of a workshop a keynote a presentation thinking I feel pretty good about that <laughs> and then I see Rob walking towards me <laughs> I just have this feeling of dread oh, yeah. <laughs> but we we wanted it we wanted him to come and and you know yeah, run the red pen so well he does. And, and he comes from a place of so much knowledge and expertise himself yeah um yeah I agree that mastermind group and you know the the after action reviews that that uh, I guess habitual practice of, of casting back. And I mean, we did the same with Dan last year on on the wider resilient shield concept and mm-hmm. looking, okay, what's working? And the thing I love that, that we bring in um, from our own personal perspective is it's not just the numbers. It's what's bringing us joy and mm-hmm. does the joy outweigh the money and does the money outweigh the joy? And, um, you know, if you can align all of those things or at least consider all of those things. I think if you just have a lopsided metric, you know, you're just doing it for money or you're mm. just doing it because you like it, um, but it's not bringing in any money, then, yeah. you know, it, it probably is going to end in tears. Oh, if you're doing it for money, I'll show you the misery. You know, God, how many how many people do we know that have been doing it for the money, that, yeah. are, that are clinging to the money or awaiting the next bonus and they're not particularly happy? Yeah, and you, you, you think about that in order to, mm. you know... What, what do you do? You move two streets closer to the beach and you you drive a, I don't know, buddy, Porsche, <laughs> instead, Porsche of a, instead of a Toyota. Or, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, to each your own. But I think right. as long as you're looking at that, you know, in order to and, mm. um, yeah, and I think the older you get, the more you realise what, what is actually going to bring happiness. And mm. um, sometimes material stuff does that. Um, well, to a certain extent, yeah. 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 But... but probably not as much as we often give it credit for. Well, I mean, to the point that you've made before on the Stoics, you know, mm. they were philosophers that looked at problems, not just at prima facie value, but, um, hey, look, what's the opportunity through it? But they weren't strangers to wealth. No. Many of them were incredibly wealthy, including um, yeah, Marcus and Seneca. Yeah. 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 Um, no, absolutely. And, yeah, it, you don't have to live in abject poverty to, to realise you know, fulfilment. Um, but yeah, the, the two aren't direct correlates, I mm. think, is the, the big stoic thing. Mm. Those hours found walking in the rain, yeah. Those hours can't bring back no more for you. You think that now it is a game that you can play, just like the way.
2023? Mm, got a couple. Uh, so I am doing a couple of 1100k bike rides, I hope. One definitely. Mawson's Trail? Yep, so Mawson Trail with some close mates of mine, some who are in my mastermind group, mm-hmm. some who I, uh, some people I've never met before, so I'm looking forward to that. Be 10 or 11 days very north of South Australia down to Adelaide, mm-hmm. um, cross country, again, bike packing, carrying all of our gear, so that should be unpleasant, which is what I'm looking <laughs> forward to. <laughs> yep. Does sound unpleasant. Uh, and I'm hoping to also ride another one before that time permitting, if I can find a window of, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 days. Down south? Uh, yeah, so Mundabidi Trail. Yep. For anyone that hasn't heard of that, it, I think it's the longest purpose-built slant design cycling trail in the world, 1,100 ki- uh, kilometres from be. Surely that Perth. Appalachian. I wouldn't be purpose-built cyclist uh, only. Okay, you here. Um, but yeah, happy to be course corrected on that. Yeah, from Perth down to Albany, mm. so lots of change in vegetation, mm. um, surface of the riding trail. I've run a, a, I've ridden a fair section of that, but I've never ridden it end to end, and I'm really keen to do it. And actually, um, some conversations in our footy club have started up. Um, guys saying, "Well, wouldn't mind doing that, maybe in a slightly different way." And the different way is from pub to pub. <laughs> but, Whatever it takes. Oh, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. But, but and then coming back the other direction, so doing south to north that would enable people, family, friends, kids to come and ride sections. Yeah, because I was just going to say, people do it in sections, don't they? They yes. get them under video every year. They, they do a, a yep. segment in a weekend and then come back and start at that finish point. That's right, I yeah. Like and there's trail towns, so you can do it quite comfortably, staying yep. in trail towns. There's uh, huts, so there's track huts that are pretty basic with bunks and a bike rack, sometimes an area where you can work on your bike, uh, and some tables and chairs and a long dropper toilet. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, pretty primitive, or if you're completely antisocial like I am, you just sleep out. Um, So yeah, that one, and uh, as you know, I want to run the longest marathon (laughs) in the world. (laughs) Tell our <laughs> listeners about this particular goal. <laughs> well, it's one, when, it's when one that I'm training a, for a, right a now. Destination marathon. I'm all interested. And then when you started to explain it a bit more, I became slightly less. So, mar- marathon de Medoc. Yep. So it's through one of the wine regions of France, and I keep saying instead of water stops. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it is instead of, but I'll stay with the line. Instead of water stops, you have wine stops. <laughs> Cheese which, stops. Which you must. Oyster stops. Meat oh, stops. Oh. I think in order to win, oh, and oh, by the way, it's fancy dress. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think in order to win, there is some mandatory number that you have to complete. But yeah, I, look, it's for me, you know, I don't necessarily like running, but I am running at the moment. And yeah, I, the you more are. you do it, of course, the more yeah. you enjoy it. Um, but I like the idea of having that little meaningful challenge with a twist. Um, I have asked a few people <laughs> to come and join. <laughs> no takers as of yet. But I, you have to run. You can't walk. Yeah. It's not a, you know, I'll walk, I'll walk my way through the marathon course. It, it sounds like absolutely the worst of all worlds. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you can't enjoy the food um, and, and certainly the running. I, I do remember you told me that before I ran that um, the Perth Marathon in October. And I remember sort of about the 37K mark, it was all starting to get pretty emotional and I was, as our, our British friends would say, threaders. 
<laughs> and for some reason into my head popped the idea of someone offering camembert smoked oysters <laughs> oh, yeah. at that stage. Just a couple of oysters. <laughs> yeah, and thought, maybe a nice glass of Chardonnay, <laughs> sir. <laughs> or no, like a good hearty burgundy or something. Um, glass yeah. of port, maybe. Oh, Jesus. No. Cognac. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know about that one. Well, I'm in training for one component of that, <laughs> <laughs> as I demonstrated at our Christmas party last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, last week. Yeah. No, very strong. So that's 2023. And then 2024, I'd like to climb a mountain. Cool. Yeah, something that is technically pretty challenging, but I'm not technically conditioned. I'd have to go back and relearn some technical skills. But I've already started making some inquiries there. Um and a you know a good friend of mine and and yours Scott who's living in Europe mm. keeps throwing these lines out to come and do some cycling through Europe with him, which yeah that look awesome it's just mind blowing yeah it'd be, be pretty the, cool yeah particularly the gravel loops in Europe around the the lakes at altitude are just awesome and it's the sort of thing that you can you can take partners on you can take kids they can go town to town and you can be absorbed in your misery with. 2,000 metres of climbing a day on some of these rides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks pretty pretty hardcore. Mm. What about you, 2023? Um, I want to... So I, I had that sort of meaningful goal of, of running the marathon this year, my first in 26 years, which was, was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to do some faster stuff. So I'm currently in a, a training block to go for a 10,000-metre track race, mm-hmm. the WA Masters... 10,000 metre championship in March, which I want to give a nudge, the non-Zimmer frame category. Is it aged? It is, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think it's a, I, I don't actually know. I think it's an all-in race, mm-hmm. um, but there's, and it's age group, you gotcha. know, yeah, 45 to 50, I think. Yep. You, and it, it's one of those funny things. Do you get things. to wear purple shorts to show, <laughs> show people that you're over 70? Oh, <laughs> like in the footy, so no you one tackles tackle, me. You can't tackle yeah, I I, Hopefully you don't get tackled regardless. Um yeah, but it's one of those funny things where, you know, you think you get old and you think, oh, I might even have a nudge at, you know, a bit of podium or, or you know, mm-hmm. and nah, people are still running low 30s um, at, in that sort of age age division. Well, coming back to Montegetti, um the numbers might not be incredibly correct, but 15-minute 5K, he's just run it. Yeah, at, he ran 15.51 at, at age 60, yeah, which is... An unverified world record, and only unverified because um, the track didn't have eight lanes, and it was hand, not electronic timed. Um, ah. But uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sub sixteen at age sixty, ridiculous. I'd be happy to go sub twenty. Well, and you know, while we're geeking out on, and I know you weren't intending to, but on running stats. Um, long-standing Australian marathon records were both broken two Sundays ago. Mm. So uh, Deke's record from 1986, mm-hmm. so whatever that is, 30-odd years, and Benita Willis's uh, record from about 10 years later. So these really long-standing records. Um, Brett Robinson smashed it in Fukuoka, so he got 207 mm-hmm. high. Um, and uh, Sinead Diver... Uh, who ran in Valencia, beat the, the female record at age 45. Wow. So, yeah, just incredible performances. And, you know, a lot of sort of consternation in the running community. Like, those are pretty massive events that, that sort of go by unnoticed. There's a bit of a what's your excuse, isn't there, when you're 
thinking, oh, oh yeah, I don't a bit really too like running, and, and oh and, yeah, my knees are sore or my back hurts. Yeah, or, and so that forty-five, like you know, that that's the Australian record. It's not an age record. It's not a masters record. None of that. Right, Australian record. It's actually a world masters record. Mm. Um, yeah, really incredible. Speaking of what's your excuses, big shout out to Sam Bloom, Samantha mm. Bloom, who won the Australian para surfing competition. Yes. Went across to California. Mm-hmm. wonder if the Red Hot Chili Peppers are playing on a roof. Probably <laughs> not. To compete in the world champs. Yeah, yeah. And she came fourth. Wow. Yeah. Um, check her out on Insta. There's some beautiful pictures taken by her husband, Cam. Handy with a camera. Very handy with a camera. Cam with the camera. Yeah, um, yeah just really um, enjoying life um, in yeah, what a champion and so and, um, humble, self-deprecating. I mean, we, we had the absolute privilege of, of having both Cam and Sam on our retreat. Mm-hmm. So that was in the lead up to this championship. And, you know, just um, really positive attitude when we were talking about the, the world champs and, yeah, give it my best crack and, mm. and no hubris, none of that sort of garbage, just really sort of joie de vivre, you know, mm. like really enjoyed the opportunity, happy and excited about the event and the result would would come as it came try and find her in a photograph without a smile on her face <laughs> and of course we interviewed sam and cam this year as well um, and then we were wonderfully fortunate in fact l- linked up really because you spoke alongside sam at an event yeah i was a bit starstruck when you know i, I knew i was on the panel with with sam and um you know, just sort of met them beforehand when we're doing all this. And I don't know, again, I, I sort of thought, oh, they'd, they'd be fairly dismissive of, a, of some absolute random on the panel with them. But just genuinely interesting and interested mm. humans. Great chat with Cam there. And, and yeah, we, we sort of decided on the back of that, yeah, we need to do something. Which we did on the podcast. So check that yeah. episode out. And, of course, as you mentioned, they came on the retreat. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and, yeah, Sam was awesome. She told her story <laughs> at the retreat. And, fortunately, the, the lights were down because, <laughs> oh, God, it is. It's a, it's a really wonderful story, you know, one of tragedy and heartbreak and loss and disappointment and nearly dismissing the quality of your life and then clawing your way out of mm. that, um, in her case, through the introduction of Penguin. Little magpie called Penguin. Yeah. Um, and beautifully, like so powerfully accompanied by Cam's photos. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, Cam, that's right. an, an and incredible video. photographer. Yeah, photos and video. And video. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and it obviously just been snapping a chronicle of these beautiful sort of studio quality photos just I guess as a, a chronicle of their lives together mm. um, but so many of them just just really um, complemented uh, Sam's story and, and the way they put together I tell you if you get a chance to see to see Sam speak um, leap at it it's a really good as you said an, an incredible journey um, mm. bring your, your tissues for the the middle bit but you'll you'll walk away feeling really good yeah um, and actually, another shout out in terms of that that event. Um, but Mark Wales, who we've been friends with for ages, and I have seen him speak in different things and and all that sort of stuff. But but he presented on his story, and and I just thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Like really, um, even knowing the story, knowing him, you know, it, it was another really polished, very funny, self-deprecating performance. Yeah, and you've got to read his book, Survivor. Mm. And if you ever get a chance to see Mark speak, yeah, it's it's a beautiful little trajectory, yeah. highs and lows and ins and outs of his life. Yeah. 
um, from you know childhood all the way through to where he is now. Mm. And you know, special shout out to um, staying on Fitzroy. And special shout out to those that came on the retreat, the facilitators, but most importantly, the participants. Yeah. It was a really wonderful group of of human beings. Wasn't and, it? Um, where do we start? Thursday lunchtime through to Sunday lunchtime, yep. or thereabouts. Um, the night, the last night, we did a semi-formal dinner, and you know we start semi-formal, then we go pretty informal. And yeah. someone said, "How good's this? It just feels like we're all family." It, it really. Was, that was a wonderful little um, conclusion for me. And I think for me, you know, we'd obviously done things with formed groups and mm. sort of, um, you know sort of everything from from school groups to corporate groups to to um uh you know groups of friends but uh this was the first where it was a very heterogeneous mm. group and we had sort of ages early 20s to late 70s mm-hmm. we had professions ranging from psychiatrists through to sort of builders through to sort of comedians through to care workers through to non-profit through to all sorts of different um walks of life and I wasn't worried, but it, I was interested as to how this little experiment, this melting pot would come together. One thing I hadn't expected was how positive it would be in terms of um, removing the facade. Like I think if we'd got a whole group of, I don't know, pick your industry, real estate agents together, or a whole group of doctors together or whatever, there'd be that commonality that would possibly cause a bit of competition or, mm. or sort of measuring and, and I'm not going to let my guard down because I'm too close to this person but when you've got a, a 20 year old builder talking to a 79 year old retiree talking to a mm. 60 year old speech therapist talking to a, a sort of 30 year old you know police person mm. um, there's no competition yeah. and and they're all there to understand these things a bit better, to learn a bit more about themselves, to learn a bit more about other people, to get some tools. Um, and straight away, people were just so open, so, you know, in a very positive sense, vulnerable, and so willing to help and learn. It, mm. it, that was a cool aspect that I hadn't expected. Yeah, plenty of laughs, certainly a few tears, and yeah. the, but the tears were great too. Yeah. I mean, tears of joy, not so much tears of sadness. Yeah, a little people. Well, well, I think most, if not all, taken out of their comfort zone at moments in time, mm. but very safe audience. Mm. You know, by the end of the first day, everyone recognised that it was okay to show any emotion, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, to yeah. show your vulnerability, and and that was, I think, what fused that group. So, yeah, special shout out to the participants of the 2022 Resilience Retreat. And thanks also to Fitzroy Island, an amazing location yeah. off Cairns, 45-minute ferry ride, um, National Park too, so pretty spectacular. Very, Very spooky. Nice. Mm. I reckon that's a wrap. It's a wrap. Yeah, that's 2022. Well, we wish you all the best for the holiday period. Hope you forget fill your unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run do some things for yourself your friends and your family yeah and we look forward to seeing you into 2023 we already have some pretty cool guests uh lined up and in the mix and so we'll um what do we got to be 21 episodes (laughs) 21 and one rv 21 and one I reckon we can we can at least match that. Not that it's a competition, but we we definitely look forward to to keep having interesting conversation with amazing people who are going a little further in their lives, and uh, absolutely look forward to a continued engagement. So please keep uh, the feedback coming. We we revel in in hearing from you. 
uh, debrief at unforgiving60.com. Um, reach out, certainly any suggestions for interviewees, any suggestions for improvements, any bouquets, any brick bats, send them in. Mm. Take care. See you later on. Cheers. to go always a little further in this podcast and greatly appreciate your input. Please let us know your feedback, the good, the bad, or the ugly. Also, if you know someone who is living a life less ordinary, we'd love to hear about them. You can get in touch at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Until next episode, keep filling your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run. See you next time on The Unforgiving 60.